Hi, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. Who just burped during my room tone recording. (laughs) Crime. Podcast crime. That's part of the room tone now. (laughs) And this is just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, though we try to bring the most accurate information we can. And I'd say we have a good experience notch in our belt now. That's true. We're on scene. We're on location (laughs) for these creatures now. Yes. Uh, We have some major updates. It's been so long (laughs) since we've recorded. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is our first time ever recording in the evergreen state of Washington, where we now live. We made it. We did it. We did. (laughs) We told y'all we were going to do it, and we did it. Um, So that's why you haven't heard from us in some time. It was a whole thing. Yep. It was a big old drive from one corner to the other of this United States. For one of us. (laughs) (laughs) So Christian, okay, so we have two children and two pets, and we did not necessarily want to drive the children across the country because that takes a very long time, but we also didn't want to fly our pets So Christian very bravely and gallantly (laughs) drove our car across the country with our pets in it. How was that drive, Christian? It was long, but pretty interesting. It was lots of places I'd never, ever been before, much less driven through. The route I took was through the Midwest and then um, around South Dakota, started heading west from there. What were some highlights of your drive? I would say the highlight is the Badlands National Park in South Mm -hmm. Dakota. And you took a little detour to go through there, right? Yes, it was perfect for that, actually. (laughs) It was recommended to me by a person working at the visitor center as I crossed the border into South Dakota. Oh, nice. So that was a great recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) What was your favorite state to drive through? Uh, It's probably tied, I would say... Between South Dakota and Montana. Mm, Very pretty places. Yes. Lots of mountains out there. Mm -hmm. Did you see any cool critters? I did. So in the Badlands National Park, I saw a bighorn sheep. Just kind of strolling down the road. You sent me a picture of it. That thing was just like vibing on the side of the road. It was so cool. It was going the opposite direction on the opposite side. So there were other cars stuck behind it, but I was fine. I still went slow so I could get a picture of it. And you did see a bunch of goats at a gas station. That was fun. And I think I saw some pronghorns along the way, but it was it was at interstate speeds, so it was kind of hard to tell. I mean, so were the pronghorns. So like by relativity, they should have been standing still to you Mm. well christian got here and then i flew across with the kids and we've been settling in since then it's two weeks now but we have been just settling right in we are close to seattle uh we don't live in seattle but we're like a little bit outside of seattle but like close enough you know (laughs) which is strange for us because back in our hometown um this distance from a city core would still have us in that city. So. Yeah, so <laughs> we we came from Jacksonville, Florida, which did a bunch of weird government consolidation in like the 60s. So you get like a mega city mm-hmm. where it's a, just one giant big city that normally would be like a bunch of little cities divided up into suburbs. Right. And so we're still kind of getting used to the idea that like right down the road is a different city. That's <laughs> like yep. different yeah. from what we're used to. <laughs> but also, uh, the you know, since we went from the southeastern corner to the northwestern corner of the continent, very different climates. Very. 
very different <laughs> that we are still adjusting to. For example, the fact that our house does not have AC mm-hmm. and that AC is not that much of a thing here. It would be a crime, I think, to build a house in Florida with no AC. I think that's yeah. against the law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting used to the, the more temperate summer, which is really nice. We've been doing a ton of exploring. Mm-hmm. I've been taking the kids hiking. I've been going to the Seattle Aquarium a few times. There's a lot to do here, and we're really, really enjoying getting used to it. I also want to thank people who, like, reached out, you know, as we said that we were moving. Um, a lot of people got in touch and said that they live here and made some really great, solid recommendations. And mm-hmm. just, uh, we feel very warmly welcomed to the Northwest. Yes. We feel quite at home already. For sure. And to kind of celebrate our transition into the Northwest and and getting to know this area and the ecosystems and the wildlife here, we wanted to dedicate this episode, which, by the way, is a very special episode 200. Not a lot of podcasts make it to 200 episodes. It was fun timing, too. I know. Really cool. So as sort of a special episode, we wanted to dedicate this one to two iconic Pacific Northwest species, starting with mine. Oh, did you want me to introduce it? I did, yeah. Oh, I Thank see. you. <laughs> so, Ellen, I believe you are going to talk about the sockeye salmon. I am. I'm really excited about this one. It's a little bit silly that I'm talking about the salmon because I don't eat fish. <laughs> like This is a very like commonly eaten fish. Well, thankfully, our category doesn't include taste. It doesn't so. include taste. I would let you take the, take the reins on that one. <laughs> um, but this is the sockeye salmon. The scientific name is Oncorhynchus nerka. The species was submitted by Scout, Hesha, and Brit in our Discord. Um, oh, there was right. a lot of conversation in our Discord about Pacific Northwest animals that we should talk about as like a celebration for moving here. I also want to thank Sean for co- compiling all of those requests into an email for me. And sockeye salmon seemed like what better iconic species to talk about for the Northwest yeah. than the salmon. Um, and I'm getting my information from NOAA Fisheries, National Geographic, a sockeye salmon FAQ page on the Katmai National Parks website, uh, and a couple of little, little sources that I'll cite along the way as they come up. All right. If you... Have never heard of a salmon before. Uh, they are a pretty chunky fish. Big, yeah. Yeah, they are up to 33 inches, which is a little under a meter long, typically around 15 pounds in adulthood. This species is found in the northern Pacific Ocean and the rivers and freshwater systems attached to it. Mm-hmm. So usually a fish will be a freshwater fish or a saltwater fish. Right. They go back and forth. They go from, pretty famously, they go from the Pacific Ocean to the freshwater mm-hmm. systems that are attached to it. And not just in the Americas either. The oh. species of salmon is found in uh, Russia. It's found in Japan. Oh. Um, yeah, it's found all in like the northern reaches of the Pacific Ocean. The important thing is that it's cold. Now, in some large lakes like Lake Washington, which is really close to where we live, mm-hmm. there are landlocked populations of sockeye salmon that never make it back out to the ocean. How'd they get there? I, if I had to guess, it has something to do with geology. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine they were probably like already there and then like some geology happened, right? Because there's a bunch of like earthquakes and tectonic movement sure. here, right? So I think maybe it's just that that lake got like separated from the ocean at some point. Hmm. I don't actually know the history of it. That's just my guess. Uh, but those salmon are specifically called kokanee. Hmm. K-O-K-A-N-E-E. Okay. okay. Now they belong to the taxonomic family of Salmonidae. 
I don't know if you pronounce the L in that like context of it. Oh, Maybe okay. Salmonidae, <laughs> which sounds a little silly. But that makes up an entire order of fish that also include things like trout and char and other like fish in their family. Okay, I thought trout was similar in some ways, but I wasn't sure if it was taxonomically. Like the same energy, right? Yeah. Like I always have to like stop it since I'm not like from this area. I'm not super familiar with salmon mm-hmm. and trout. Uh, I always have to kind of stop and think like, which one is that? One is round. There are also seven commercially significant species of salmon, but only one of them lives in the Atlantic. So there's mm. only one Atlantic salmon. Okay. And all the others are Pacific. Now, a quick little note on etymology. The word sockeye is an anglicized pronunciation of the Halkamalum word, which is sugki. Huh. Yeah. So like that is like one of the indigenous words for the salmon. So English speakers heard this like sugki pronunciation and then did their best and called it sockeye. I wanted to give a shout out, uh, a special pronunciation thanks to Brody Bear, who is a kid who's adult, I'm assuming they're adult, posts videos on YouTube of Brody saying a Halkamalum word of the day. Wow. Yeah, including a video where Brody is holding a salmon and saying the word sagki so you can like hear how it's pronounced okay which whenever i'm like trying to say a word on the show that does not belong to english i try to look up how it's pronounced in its like original language yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is so rare that i get such a good video oh, yeah. of someone so just like so specifically and concisely saying here's how the word is pronounced that's good yes i was like this is exactly what i need <laughs> a lot of the times i feel like if i'm looking up a scientific name in that mm. way I'm convinced some of those just don't exist. No, like, it's as fine. a recording on the internet that isn't like an AI voice or something. I have the I hate those like AI videos that are like <laughs> it'll be like a like Microsoft Sam. Right. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are funny though. <laughs> some of them are really silly. <laughs> but I was really excited to see like a YouTube video of exactly what I needed, the pronunciation of this exact word. Well, congratulations. So that leads us to my ratings for this animal. Okay. Beginning with effectiveness, which for us on this podcast, if this is your first time listening, is uh, physical adaptations, ways that the animal's body is built to handle the conditions that it lives in, let it survive, thrive, do what it's trying to do. I'm giving the sockeye salmon a seven out of 10. And just to kind of like set the stage for what the salmon has to be physically adapted to Mm -hmm. i'm going to walk you through its life cycle oh okay that works out (laughs) so you start with baby salmon hatching from an egg and their egg has been laid in a peaceful freshwater stream with a nice rocky bed underneath this is like a new sort of like biome that we're getting used to here these like little slow flowing freshwater streams with like rocky gravelly beds Mm -hmm. because back where we're from that's all sand that's sand it's mud it's like we don't have like stuff like that where we're from i've heard that's because of glaciers the salmon eggs are laid in this gravelly rocky bottom of a nice little stream baby salmon stays in this little stream as it grows bigger and bigger for up to three years because this is like a kind of a slow quiet there's not a lot of large predators around that can eat them Mm -hmm. um it's a it's just a little bit of a safe like nursery kind of for the the salmon to grow up in so once it's chunked up a bit and it's big enough to take on the world it leaves its freshwater home like a teenager moving off to college 
except college is the Pacific Ocean in this situation. Yes. So teenager salmon stay in the Pacific Ocean for another year or two, finding themselves, changing their major, getting a bad haircut that they're <laughs> going to regret, <laughs> taking embarrassing photos. And then in the late summer or early fall, mature salmon uh, become a Hallmark Christmas movie protagonist and return to their hometown mm, to find love. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they swim all the way back to the exact same stream that they hatched in, which is quite an impressive feat because there's a lot of those. Yeah. And they're, all, they're very similar to each other. Mm. I mean, this is thousands of miles that the fish is swimming out into the ocean, turning around and going the exact same way back. Right. So it's not like it, they just went to the closest one they were already nearby. Right. No, it's back to the same one. Yeah. When they're ready to go back to the stream, they have a makeover first. They do. They're going to be looking for love, right? You got to get cute first. They develop this like bright scarlet red skin. Mm-hmm, like they, mm-hmm. that's when they turn this iconic. It's what you think of when you think of a salmon color, right? It's this like bright orange red. Well, the the color salmon is is something else, isn't it? It's more like when you eat them, right? Like <laughs> yes. that's what color the meat is. <laughs> but like it's that color, right? Sure, sure, it's sure. That they they turn this bright, bright red. Males develop a pronounced hump on their back and then a hooked snout. Like their snout gets like bigger and okay. longer and more of this like sort of hook shape. So I was curious what what traits were I guess dimorphic there. So both turn red, mm-hmm. right? They both okay. turn red. They both get bigger. I see. But the male is the one that develops this like sort of like hunchback werewolf yeah. kind of look, right? They get this <laughs> big hump on their back and then this gnarly looking snout. Mm-hmm. Um, that's You can really tell which ones are the males when they hit this like spawning phase. It's like a full body metamorphosis. They, okay. they really go into like... They're getting cute. So once they show up for the great big singles mixer, the, mm-hmm. f- the females make little nests in the rocky streams that the males then come and visit. And then when a male and a female swim side by side and like the females like receptive to the male at the same time, the male and the female will release their sperm and eggs respectively okay so it's not like the female just like lays her eggs leaves them there and then a male comes along like they have to like both do it at the same time so once the eggs are fertilized and ready to go the female will swim up a little bit and use her tail to brush gravel over the eggs bury them safe underneath the gravel until they're ready to hatch Mm, okay and you know what they do next what's that they die Mm. (laughs) that's it peacefully both of them (laughs) i mean they just like they stop eating like they don't so once they leave the ocean they don't eat anymore after that got it so they just kind of gradually they're like oh well this is it mission accomplished so earlier we said you know back and forth between fresh and salt water but really it's back and forth once and yes end of story it's it's one round trip yes (laughs) (laughs) it's not like a frequent sort of bopping around it's you get one chance which i mean octopuses are like this right they they Mm -hmm. mate once and then that's it they're like well hope hope things go good for these because uh i'm not making any more Like it is so like energetically expensive for them to just make it up the like up the freshwater system mate. And then they're also doing a lot of competing with each other during that time. Right. So they are really tuckered out. So once they've like made the uh, fertilized the eggs, they're like, all right, that's good. I think I'm good. <laughs> Guess I'll just die. Guess I'll die. <laughs> um, and they do. <laughs> and of course, not all make it, right? Most of them don't make it. Mm. I, I read a figure that said like less than 10% of like salmon ever like from survive. Egg, from like egg to then reproduce. Right. Oh, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. It's very few of them, yeah. which makes sense because the females are laying like thousands of eggs yeah, at yeah. a time. 
So that's kind of like the gist of what the salmon is up to. They're going mm-hmm. from small, kind of shallow, freshwater streams out into the Pacific Ocean and back. And they're able to do that because they're urihaline. Have you ever heard that word before? I don't think so. So urihaline describes a fish that can survive in either fresh or salt water, mm-hmm. which is, like I mentioned, not actually that common. Usually right. a fish is pretty specifically adapted to a certain like salinity range that they can tolerate. Mm-hmm. A urihaline fish has to adapt their body to maintain balance between the fluids inside their body and the water around them, specifically the salt concentration. Yes. Um, because the salt concentration inside your body like determines how well you can like absorb oxygen into your body because it needs like an ionic gradient, but it has something to do with electrical currents. And that's about all I know about that. Yeah, yeah. The important thing is they don't want to have either too much or too little salt inside their body at any given time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when the salmon is in salt water, they drink, as in like swallow, tons and tons and tons of water. And at the same time, their kidneys concentrate their urine to make sure that they are excreting as much salt as possible. So they're trying to actually gulp in a lot of seawater while Mm -hmm. letting most of that salt from the seawater leave their kidneys through their urine. But hold on to the water. Yes. Yeah. That's the important thing. They're trying to hold on to the water because the water around them is salty. So they want to stay not salty inside Mm -hmm. their body. When they're in fresh water, they do the opposite. They don't drink any water. They don't, like, swallow it. And also their kidneys dilute their urine to make sure that they are expelling water as much as they can so that they're holding on to the salt that's in their body. But also in preparation for that transition from salt water to fresh water, they even replace the tissue in their gills to like restructure their gills completely. Oh. Yeah. So they kind of go through like this entire metamorphosis. Like part of the metamorphosis is like restructuring their gills. Is there a phase in there where it's like getting rid of old gills or is Is it not like that? I would imagine it's just kind of like maybe shedding tissue. I don't know what it looks like. It's probably gross if I had to guess. The word sloth comes off to me. I wish it didn't. (laughs) I avoid using the word sloth in like any capacity. (laughs) I don't like it. So yeah, I just feel like physically the ability to go between these sort of extremes, right? Going from the ocean to fresh water, you have to be pretty well physically adapted to handle that. Yes. So a lot of points there for that. But also something interesting about these salmon is that they are under conflicting pressures. Oh. So sexual selection favors larger bodies because that signals this is an animal that has grown to a very large size. It must be very successful and a viable mate. So a female salmon would be more likely to mate with a larger male salmon. So Mm. like the bigger you are, the more you're going to mate. But also the bigger you are, the more likely you are to get caught by a predator (laughs) in these shallow streams, right? Like these are shallow streams where if you're really big, you're really close to the surface. Yes. So you are going to get got. (laughs) Yes. And it's also like energetically, it's more difficult because they're swimming upstream. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to get yourself up the stream like that if you're really, really big. So there's kind of both of these conflicting pressures. You're both being selected for size and against size at the same time. So they have to find this like middle ground between being as big as you can without getting like picked off by a bear or an eagle or something. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. 
that's effectiveness for the sockeye salmon. The next category we rate animals on is ingenuity, which for us is behavioral adaptations, uh, things the animal is actually doing to solve problems that it faces or thrive. Uh, I'm giving them a nine out of 10. That's very good. A lot of it is for navigation. Okay. Because that's impressive, right? Like not just the distance, but the precision. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I can't, get to the grocery store without Google Maps. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, navigation is very tricky to do, especially when you're in freshwater systems that might be changing a lot. And things, if you're going off of something like vision or smell, the cues you might be relying on could change from season to season. If you're looking for something that maybe has moved or maybe something has changed since the last season, or if you're trying to smell something, maybe the concentration's not right. There are a lot of things that can mess with like senses like that that can make it difficult to navigate to the extent that they're trying to. So instead, they're able to navigate by sensing the magnetic field of the earth. Okay. By using tiny pieces of magnetite, which is a magnetic mineral that they have embedded in their tissues. That's pretty cool. Isn't that cool? They got little tiny magnets in them. <laughs> so what's cool is that there's research that studied the magnetic reception mm -hmm. in salmon by putting a bunch of salmon in like a giant vat and then basically like whooshing magnets around them. <laughs> <laughs> and the salmon like turned towards the magnets like they would turn like change their orientation based on like where the giant magnet was that was probably very disorienting for them i know those poor babies <laughs> and it was like a dark vat too with like no light in there to make sure they weren't like looking for something right. a mean thing to do to salmon but interesting results nonetheless <laughs> and the paper that i got that information from is actually it's really interesting it's called magneto reception in fishes the effect of magnetic pulses on orientation of juvenile pacific salmon and that was by lewis c nesbitt jones et al in the journal of experimental biology in may of 2020 um, now all that being said while they are remarkably good at getting right back to the exact same spot they started sometimes occasionally salmon will stray from their home stream mm. and go to a new one that they weren't born in uh, it's called straying but it's actually really good for like the species as a whole because it lets them like colonize a new area and branch out a little bit right like what if the stream that they're relying on gets like dammed up or you know they can't access it for whatever reason if you have multiple like populations in multiple different streams it kind of helps you hedge your bets maybe with genetic diversity as well right like it's it's good for them to have kind of a wide array of options yeah. <laughs> to swim in so you know not being not doing the exact same thing 100 percent of the time kind of helps them out there with that i thought that was pretty cool it is um, now, within the salmon run, which is when all of the salmon, you know, swim up the stream together, the salmon also establish social hierarchies based on size. Oh. So you'll have, like, <laughs> the, like, big daddy boss salmon, and then there will be, like, subordinate males that kind of try to, like, sabotage each other and, and scoop females from each other and stuff. I did also want to give them some points for parental care, because at least mom goes down with the ship. Like, yes, she does die immediately afterwards, <laughs> but she literally spends like her final days of existence, like protecting her eggs. Okay. So she stays over the nest and like, you know, tries to protect it and she's not going to be there for long, but at least the time that she does have, she spends protecting her eggs. Hmm. So I wanted to give them some credit for that. Yeah. Something that a lot of people I think associate salmon with is... You know that you have like an image in your head of them like jumping out of the stream. Yes. Uh, apparently, it's not really known why they do that. 
that's just the thing they do. <laughs> maybe it's for fun. I don't know. <laughs> Some people think maybe it's to dislodge parasites. Oh, okay. Um, or it could also maybe be to like communicate with each other somehow. Uh, it could just be because they feel like it. I don't mm. know. But they do it. They jump out of the water sometimes. Mm. And the final category we rate animals on is aesthetics. I'm giving the sockeye salmon a 10 out of 10. This is a gorgeous fish. Interesting. I think this is such a pretty fish. Like, especially in the mating display, bright, bright, bright red. And they have this, like, shimmery emerald green head and tail. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what it is about the kind of, like, the humpbacked hooked snout look. Maybe it kind of looks like a gator shape almost. Mm. I think they're really pretty. I think they're just gorgeous. Um, The nose kind of looks like Gonzo. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm just about that. I think they're great. Oh, also, I did want to mention that the vibrant orange color that they have on their flesh, it comes from carotenoids that they get from eating krill out in the ocean. Mm. And it is the same reason that flamingos and spoonbills have pink feathers. Okay. Same source. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit of a crossover there. But they just don't activate it until it's... Time to run. I think it's just when they know that they're about to like go spawn and like go to the back to the stream, Mm -hmm. they eat a lot. Oh, I see. So they eat just tons and tons and tons because they're like bulking up because they're never going to eat again after this. So they bulk up and eat a ton of krill and it concentrates and makes their skin bright red. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I think they're gorgeous. It's a beautiful fish. So finally, this is where we talk about conservation status. If you go off of just the IUCN red list, it says that the whole species is of least concern. Mm -hmm. But if you zoom in, individual populations can really vary. Some of them are doing fine. Some of them are doing great. Some of them are doing really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to kind of like look specifically uh, at what like how a population is doing. They rely on really, really cold water. They Mm. need the water to be really cold. This goes back to something we've talked about before, how in water, the lower the temperature, the higher the dissolved oxygen. Right. Remember how like colder water holds more oxygen in it. Mm -hmm. So if the water is too warm, it doesn't have enough oxygen in it for the sockeye to survive. Mm -hmm. So as everything's getting warmer, including the streams that they rely on, if those streams get too warm, the salmon can't survive in it. So they're really vulnerable to just like increasing temperatures, which is not great, but also dams and development really disrupt um, the streams and the freshwater systems that they rely on, which that happens a lot, right? Like land gets converted or land gets developed and then the salmon don't have anywhere to live anymore. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. But this is all important because salmon are ecological like powerhouses. They're a keystone species for their ecosystem. And that's because their migration into the ocean and back brings this huge influx of marine nutrients into the freshwater system. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing in a lot of like... Um, metals and proteins and things like that that you wouldn't normally find out there. They're just like bringing it all into the freshwater system from the ocean. And then the carcasses of the salmon after they spawn and die off are just an abundant food source for humans and for large predators like bears and eagles. Even the larvae of the young salmon are food sources for smaller freshwater predators like you know other fish or birds. Mm-hmm. And the abundance of salmon in the Pacific Northwest has always been kind of a cornerstone of human sustenance. So uh, the people that have lived here for thousands of years have a really deep cultural connection to salmon, but also take stewardship of salmon populations very seriously. So the fishing practices um, revolved around sustainability and like respect for the land. 
you know, indigenous fishing involved limiting the number of fish that could be caught out of the stream, but mm-hmm. also like returning their remains to the water and things like that. We've been hearing a lot of about like first salmon ceremonies, right? Where like the first salmon that's caught in a salmon run, you know, will be divided up and served among the community and then mm. the re- remains returned to the water. So um, it's something that's taken very seriously here. It's also just like, I've heard that sockeye salmon is supposed to be the tastiest type of salmon you can eat. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> I would gladly serve as the judge in a blind taste test. I'll send you in as the <laughs> as my uh, correspondent in the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've actually seen signs for something of a, a salmon bake going on. I don't know mm. how much more about that, though. It's probably good. I unfortunately don't like the taste of fish. I don't know, but maybe that's because I've only ever eaten fish, you know, not here. So maybe I'd like it if I had it here. Maybe, maybe. I'd like the salmon here. I, I would be willing to try it. I'll try okay. it. So that is sockeye salmon. Thank you. Thank you. Let's uh, take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Max Fun Network, and then we'll get to Christian's animal. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests. And bring them down to our level. We get stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Could I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. Oh, Russ. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I found you in line. These clouds are really freaking me out. I hate having to stand in line. And boy, what a line. These giraffes do not smell good. No, they do not. And they have such short necks. But I'm hearing we need to get on this we ark. we got to get on the ark. It yeah. is about to rain. God is about to destroy humanity. Hey, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Are you Noah? Yeah, I know we look like humans, but we're actually, <laughs> yes, we're <totally>. podcasters. <laughs> we are podcasters, so it's different. Have you heard of Ono, Ross, and Carrie? We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, stuff like that. And you have a boat and say the world's going to end, so it seemed like something for us to check out. We would love to be on the boat. We came two by two. What do you think? Ono, Ross, and Carrie, available on MaximumFun.org. All right, Christian, what animal do you have for us this week? This week, I will be talking about the grizzly bear. I'm so excited. Yes. So excited. Scientific name, Ursus Arctos Horribilis. I like a little Horribilis thrown in there. Yes. A little value judgment on the bear right in the scientific name. Mm -hmm. Do you have notes on the etymology of the scientific name? Not so much, no. Can I tell you some? Yeah. Okay, so you got Ursus, right, with like most people Mm -hmm. understand to mean bear. And you've got Arctos. Which sounds like Arctic, right? Yeah. And you might hear Ursus Arctos and think polar bear, right? I mean, not now, but I would have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's funny about that is that the Arctos part of the name mm-hmm. is from the ancient Greek word for bear. Okay. And the Arctic was named after the word for bear oh. because of Ursa Major, the constellation. So they used the word like in the direction of the bear to mean north. I see. So they call it the Arctic because it's northern, and that's in the direction where the bear constellation is. Okay, so we came all the way around there. I know. I think that's so funny. It is. This was submitted by Divine Dowd. Thank you, Divine. And I'm getting my information from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service at fws.gov. 
Animal Diversity Web at animaldiversity.org, and National Park Service at nps.gov. So first of all, uh, you might notice the scientific name has three parts to it. It does. That is because this is a subspecies. We're getting so granular mm. here. Grizzly bears are a subspecies of brown bears, which are found in North America. Mm, this is the big ones. Mm-hmm. Well, not no, they're not the biggest ones, but... Uh, their color can vary from light brown to nearly black. And for those maybe unfamiliar with what a bear is, it is a mammal. It's a terrestrial mammal. I think we've heard of bears. <laughs> I think we know what bears are. I'm trying to think, <laughs> are there any places that don't have bears? Australia, maybe? Do they have actual bears? I don't think they have bears there. Okay. <laughs> but surely they do. You're aware of what a bear is. <laughs> but just in case. Uh, very large terrestrial mammals' teeth. Mm-hmm. They got them. Mm-hmm. Fur, claws. Round present e- round ears present and accounted for <laughs> short stubby tail usually so something that distinguishes them from another common bear in the north america is the black bear is that uh, they have longer less curved claws compared to black bears they also have humped shoulders more knife-like in the claw department <laughs> mm-hmm. although if you're that close to tell that difference <laughs> the least of your concerns <laughs> you already shouldn't be that close so your better bets are probably the the shoulder hump uh knowing just the region that you're at and whether or not you're more likely to come across one over the other right if you're in the southeast it's right it's a black bear in here <laughs> let's talk size please uh, people like to talk about grizzly bears and being large it's because they are males average 200 to 300 kilograms or 400 to 600 pounds and 1 to 2.8 meters long, or 3 to 9 feet. And that's head to rump. Pretty big guy. Uh-huh. Where they can be found today are in Alaska, western Canada, like British Columbia, mm-hmm. and the northwestern United States. Like here? Yes. <laughs> Let me just look out the window real quick, make sure there's not one listening. So, we don't have any in our backyard, per se. No. <laughs> <laughs> there is a recovery zone in the North Cascades of Washington. What does that mean? So... Uh, I guess, spoiler, they had conservation problems Mm -hmm. with grizzly bears and uh, the U.S. government set up a couple of recovery zones in the Northwest uh, to try and help out their populations. So like places they're trying to bring them back. Yes. Got it. The the closest one doesn't actually have a known population there, unfortunately. So the closest recovery zone is in the North Cascades, but the closest bears to us are probably in the Selkirk recovery zone, um, which is where Washington, Idaho, and the Canadian borders meet. I see. So a little further away than that. They belong to the taxonomic family Ursidae, which is the family of the other seven species of bears. Seven species of bears. So eight species total of extant bears today. They're in the same genus as the American black bears, polar bears, and Asian black bears. I didn't realize that Asian black bears were a different species. Mm. I know that there's like sun bears, right? Mm -hmm. Spectacled bears. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Drop bears. (laughs) Panda bear, of course. Um, Hold on. Brown bear, black bear, polar bear, sun bear, spectacle bear, panda bear. There's one more. What is it? I don't remember. Oh, no. (laughs) Asian black bear, I guess, would be the last one. Well, there's eight total. Um, (gasps) Sloth bear. Sloth bear. We did it. Now, another bear people hear about are Kodiak bears, which are another subspecies of brown bear. Oh, okay. So not the same as grizzly bears. Right. Same species, different subspecies. Got it. (laughs) I feel like a lot of times people use the word grizzly bear as synonymous with brown bear. Yes, I can see why. (laughs) They're like the most dramatic. (laughs) The differences are mostly population, like specific populations, Mm -hmm. size, and temperament. 
temperament. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so Kodiak bears are larger than grizzlies and are only found in Kodiak, Alaska. They got their own special bear. Mm-hmm. I think that's an island as well. Oh, that would make sense then why they have their own special bear. <laughs> I'm not trapped on here with you. You're trapped yeah. in here with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so digging into our first category of effectiveness, I'm giving 9 out of 10. Wow. Yeah. Spectacular. So first off, they are long-lived. Really? They usually live to be 25 years old, but can live to 35 and up. I feel like when I see one, they seem old. They all seem old to me. <laughs> yeah. They seem like haggard. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seeing some stuff. Yeah, they seem like they've been through it. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out a lot of those bare necessities are fairly violent. <laughs> <laughs> they are opportunistic omnivores, which makes them able to eat pretty much whatever is available. Are you going to stop them? <laughs> I mean, who's going to tell them no, right? <laughs> so that includes plants, animals, dead or alive, and human food and garbage. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Waste not, want not. Yeah. So that gives them a certain degree of flexibility. That, mm. You know, animals with more focused diets, you know, are more prone to problems when that food source runs up or is affected in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas grizzly bears, they eat what's available. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I've heard yeah. that you have to work pretty hard to, like, secure your garbage and food yes. products. I actually have some specific advice on that later. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing are their claws. They have big claws, and they're good for digging. That comes to making dens, which I'll talk about more in January. Oh, I see. Okay. I mean, but they're also good for slicing. Yes. uh, Whenever you... Well, depictions of bear maulings often show... (laughs) (laughs) Were you about to say whenever you get mauled by a bear? (laughs) I'm always getting mauled by bears. When you're getting mauled, note the distinct claw marks in your flesh. Take a moment to truly appreciate (laughs) the unique shape of the claws Mm. that are tearing you to shreds. And often when you see uh, bear tracks, in addition to their paw pads, you'll see the claws at the end, right? Even even in their prints. Right, because they're not retractable, right? Right. Like the cat's claws would be. So if you see the paw, you're Mm going to see the claws. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, bears out, claws out. So. Uh, They have a good sense of smell and human level hearing and eyesight. That's not that good, actually. Well. (laughs) That's like, okay. (laughs) Apparently the eyesight part is more recent because before that it was thought they had kind of poor eyesight. Okay. So they've gotten bumped up from bad to okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. So kind of hand in hand with their diet, they live in many different habitats. They're pretty good generalists, Mm -hmm. right, is what we're coming up on. What can't she do? (laughs) They have the most widely distributed bear species in the world. I like the idea that a bear could be anywhere. (laughs) Really keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it should, too. (laughs) (laughs) And the next big thing I want to talk about is hibernation. Yes. I love hibernation. Yeah. Mostly because I'm jealous and I wish I could do it. (laughs) This is often something we hear about with mammals that live in colder climates. Especially like these big chunky mammals. Yes. So it helps them survive when food is scarce and the weather is harsh. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when it gets colder. Uh, During this time, they do not eat, drink, urinate, or defecate. I guess because then that would require leaving your den to like right. find somewhere to go to the bathroom and then or just kind of stewing in it, right? Yeah, and that's nobody wants that. No. You're gonna get infected. <laughs> uh, their heart and respiration rate go down, and there's also a slight drop in body temperature. Isn't this when they have their babies too? It is. So that drop in heart rate and respiration, I think, implies a lower metabolism. Right. right? So it's like a full, like the whole it's, system slowing down. It's not a full stop. 
Right. But it is a slowdown. Um, that hibernation lasts four to six months. And they enter their dens between October and December. Males usually later than females. And like you mentioned, females give birth in dens in late January to early February. A lot of people interpret this to mean that like the female like sleeps through giving birth or something. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. But like, no. <laughs> they're, <laughs> like, they're not like sleeping that whole time, right? right? They're just like really taking it mm-hmm. easy. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things with that only slightly reduced body temperature, they can be aroused early from their hibernation. You don't want that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Uh, especially by human activities. Don't don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> Whatever it is you're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when that happens, they might exit and relocate somewhere else oh, okay. to get away from it. It's like when Finley bursts into our room when I'm still sleeping, and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're not, you know, fully under for the, for the time being. So they, they they can you know get up and do things that they absolutely have to. Right, but they don't like it. Right. <laughs> Probably pretty grumpy. Uh, they have a low reproductive rate. Unfortunately, they mate from May to July, but the embryo doesn't implant into the uterus until the late fall. Now, what's happening here? So we've actually seen this before. Uh Uh-huh. I believe with the California sea lions. Right. Yeah, I remember this now. (laughs) There's like a buffering period between the the mating and then like they don't like fertilize the egg Mm -hmm. until a long time later. So in this case, you know, it, it is fertilized. It's just it doesn't implant into the uterus until later, which... Implanting into the uterus is the next step for the rest of the embryo's development to take place. Right. So basically, it's hitting pause on the embryo's development Mm -hmm. at that stage. And that's a good idea because you don't necessarily want your baby to be born before you go into hibernation. Right. Because uh, prior to hibernation, their whole thing is stocking up on food, right? Calories, Mm -hmm. eating as much as they could. So I think it's all in the timing to where, you know, they want it after they've prepared for hibernation and then they want it to occur during hibernation. So that you don't have a little mm-hmm. cub tumbling around your feet that you right. got to watch and take care of and stuff. And by the time they're done hibernating, the cub is old enough to then exit the den with the mother. Nice. Okay. I think yeah. we should maybe uh, look into co-opting the strategy for humans. <laughs> I think that when a human is pregnant, we should just let them be in a cozy den mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual maturity is reached at four. But age of first reproduction is around six, usually on average. So that kind of tells me that there's a long time between cubs and between generations, too. It can be, although they're such long-lived animals, and then they, they can reproduce for such long of their lives that mm. it's it's very possible to have three generations alive at the same time still reproducing. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's still a slow reproductive cycle. So like we talked about, they have one of the slowest reproductive rates among terrestrial mammals. So it could take a female 10 plus years to replace herself in the population. What do you mean by replace herself in the population? Like a net. Increase. Of- right. So that's just, such that there is an adult bear that replaces her, that has replaced her when she passes away. I see. Right. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So that does imply that the population would grow very, very slowly. Yes. Which has conservation yes. <laughs> implications. <laughs> For sure. Um, moving right on into ingenuity. Giving a seven out of turn. So the first thing is, for better or worse, they will learn food sources quickly, especially human-related sources. <laughs> they know who the marks are. Yeah. This is why it's so important not to, like, feed wildlife. Yes. They will come back for you. I yeah. promise. Yeah. <laughs> I know you think you're having a Disney princess moment, <laughs> but they're learning your face. <laughs> 
Yeah, so not great there. And like I mentioned earlier, they have den digging and design. They will dig the dens they use for hibernation on steep slopes, where deep snow will accumulate and be unlikely to melt during warm periods. Oh, I see. Like a dense layer of yeah, snow. It's like a door or insulation. Okay. It's giving Shire. It's giving <laughs> Hobbit. What do you call it? The Hobbit hole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's where the inspiration came from. from Maybe. <laughs> Although Tolkien does specifically say it is not a hole that is uh, dank and with worms. <laughs> okay, Tolkien. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and finally, to link them into your animal, uh, catching salmon is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, I also got a lot of information from the Katmai National Park and Preserve in Alaska website. They're so good. Oh, I can't believe I didn't ask you about this when you were talking about hibernation. Did you see uh, Fat Bear Week? Uh, I've heard of it. Across Fat Bear Week. Not during the research for this, but I had previously heard about that. Yes. Fat Bear Week <laughs> is my favorite thing that happens every year mm. when the, I think it's Katmai National Park when the bears are bulking up mm-hmm. for winter hibernation. The park will monitor the bears and show you like before and after pictures of like when they last came out of hibernation versus when they go into hibernation and uh just like the general public votes on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who i don't know what like the criteria is like which bear got the fattest or (laughs) just which bear is just the cutest or something i don't know what criteria people vote on but you can vote on the best fattest bear of the year it's that's, amazing. It's my favorite so thing that happens every year. <laughs> uh, now, uh, a quick disclaimer. I structured my talk about this. these animals as specific to grizzly bears. The bears in Katmai National Park are not grizzly bears. They are brown bears. But close enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get like an honorary grizzly bear title or something? <laughs> it's giving grizzly bear. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the the bears there will catch the salmon in the streams while the salmon migrate for mating, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, because they're in quantities very plentiful in the streams and rivers while that's taking place. It's so many. Yeah. And it is impressive to see because of how big the fish are and mm-hmm. how shallow the water is so it just like the river just turns red with yeah. these fish that are swimming and actually like the reason that the fish swim in these dense schools mm-hmm. is because they know they're going to get eaten by bears right so like they're like if enough of us go through the stream then we'll still be okay like you know they can't eat all of us yeah <laughs> <laughs> they do try <laughs> um, so there's a couple of different methods of catching the salmon oh really yeah uh so one is the iconic stand and wait yeah let them come to you <laughs> especially when you know you see videos of them like this at like waterfalls and mm-hmm. they're, they're jumping out of the water or whatever work smarter not harder yeah. the next one is a, a variation of just sit and wait mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're just kind of sitting and waiting there uh and then they might you know i love that you like grab them as they come i by. love a bear just like i'm not even gonna stand it's fine <laughs> Uh, there's a dash and grab. Oh, okay. Uh, where, For a bear on the go. So this is in the more shallow areas where the bear will chase after the fish as it's swimming in very shallow areas. Seems unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this largely depends on the specific area that the bear is able to, to hunt the fish in. Sure. Right. Uh, next is snorkeling. What? No. <laughs> they'll have, like have their head underwater looking for the fish. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next bit is pirating, which no. is stealing fish from other bears. 
How dare. <laughs> and lastly is the they, motor. They sat around very hard for that fish. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the next one is diving, actually, where they really? will fully swim to go after the fish. Really? Um, it's a little bit more rare because mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of energy to put into it, right? Right. It's a big old animal to be hulking around. Yeah. Although in the water, it's a little easier to get around. Sure. In the water, you know, like that weight is lifted off of you. I don't right. Know. But compared to not moving at all and like <laughs> just jump in your mouth. I suppose compared to doing literally nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's harder. Um, and then the last is begging. Where what? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Where bears will beg other bears. <laughs> no, it's not. You made that up. No, I didn't. <laughs> It's not very common and not very successful. <laughs> please. please, Fish, please. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It would work on me, though. If a bear came up to me and was like, please, I yeah. would definitely give it all of my salmon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that it's like a RuneScape marketplace where like bears are walking around and over their head it says, like, buying fish, <laughs> 10 gold? With the rainbow font. <laughs> it's all wavy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sometimes when the fish are especially plentiful, the bears will sometimes only eat the most calorie-dense portions of the fish. Oh, really? Yeah. These are the skin, brains, and eggs. Okay. Yeah. All right. That that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. That would be like where the fats would be packed, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're they're trying to get ready for, for hibernation, put on the fat as much as they can. Mm-hmm. So they have a ton of fish. You know, they're going to get as much energy as they can in the given time, which means just eat the most calorie-dense portions and get sure. rid of the rest. You can be picky. Yeah. When it's not so abundant, they'll, of course, eat more of, like, you know, the flesh and things of the of the fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and aesthetics-wise, I'm going to give a 7 out of 10. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? What are you talking about a 7 out of 10? <laughs> they're so cute. What's wrong with you? My knowledge of... <laughs> Maybe my newly acquired knowledge <laughs> of their potential, I guess, has has the, the cute, cuddly, must-touch instinct reined in, I think. <laughs> I... Oh, you know what also might be working against you here? What's that? That scene from Annihilation. I... Yeah. <laughs> Although that couldn't have been a brown bear. Right. That was... It was set in Florida, so that must have been a black bear. Yeah. It looked like a brown bear in the movie, though. Yeah, yeah. I won't say anything more about it if you haven't seen the movie Annihilation. It's awful. Mm-hmm. No, the movie's good. The movie's, movie's good. The movie's yeah. good. It's... Um, it's just we thought it was a fun, campy sci-fi action flick. We did. <laughs> we um, thought it was like a girl power action adventure movie. Which I'll say, that's that's on us. We didn't look it up. <laughs> I saw Nile- the movie. I saw Natalie Portman was in it and Oscar Isaac was in it. Like, oh, this is probably just Star Wars, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a Star Wars. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that's not what it was at all. It's very spooky. <laughs> yeah uh that might be working against you here but i think they're really cute they are cute teddy bears Mm -mm. have you looked at like early drafts of teddy bears no like the teddy bears that were made like in like the 19 i don't know what what it would have been like 10s or 20s or something and they looked a lot more bear-like than they do. Like now, teddy bears are usually made to be a little bit more anthropomorphized with sure. like human baby-like features. But early teddy bears had more like bear features, and mm. it was not exactly what would fly off of the shelves today. All right. <laughs> oh, I forgot something in Ingenuity. There's a very famous phrase, especially on the internet. Mm-hmm. 
There is considerable overlap between the intelligence of the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists. Oh, yeah. I did want you to tell me about thwarting bears. Yes. (laughs) The Uh, battle of wits. So this is often talked about when parks and other areas like that need to design garbage cans and such, Mm. such that um, they're easy enough for people to use, but not easy enough for bears to get into. (laughs) (laughs) Finding that sweet spot is tough. Yeah. They don't even have any thumbs. I think just make a thumb-based sort of something that requires the use of thumbs. Right. A knob. One knob. There you go. So the conservation status for brown bears, the species, depends on specific population. Sure. Um, so that can vary greatly between greatly endangered to least concerned, depending on which population you're looking at. There's a possibility for polar bear hybrids. No. Yes. What? Yes. Is that like a good or a bad thing do you think there's a number of recorded cases interesting in the wild huh. of uh of hybrids really how do they know well living they they look like a cross between a polar bear and a grizzly bear fascinating yeah do you know if those hybrids yielded like offspring i don't i didn't look into it because a lot of times when you see like hybrids between species mm-hmm. The hybrid will exist, but like not be fertile themselves. So like the hybrid wouldn't be able to go on and make its own offspring. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't look it into it. I would be fascinated to know if that is something that could like establish an actual population. But it makes sense because, you know, they they are in the same genus there. But also because polar bears are being pushed south. Yes. So you're going to see a lot more range overlap between polar bears and, and brown bears. Yep. Yep. Oh boy. We have a fresh new thing to be scared of. You're welcome for the new fear. <laughs> um, now, Grizzler <laughs> bears. <laughs> they had some names. <laughs> I forget. I didn't note them. But uh. Posley. <laughs> uh, my last thing I want to talk about is bear safety tips from Yellowstone National Park. Please. I want bear <laughs> safety tips. <laughs> the first, keep at least 100 yards away, which is about 93 meters. Never approach them. Do not get close enough to examine their claws. Yes. Uh, never feed bears, intentionally no. or otherwise. Don't ever do that. Yeah. Never. Because like we mentioned, they will learn the food sources and it will come back. But also, like, when that happens, the bear will seek out humans more yeah. and become a nuisance bear, and nuisance bears get put down. Yes. And usually... Often the nuisance bear will have injured or killed someone first. <laughs> right. It's not good for anybody. Yes. It's bad for it's not worth your princess moment. Yeah. It's not worth it. If a bear approaches or touches your car, honk your horn and drive away. <laughs> that seems easier said than done. <laughs> this seems like it's implying that the bear is just kind of like placing one paw gently on your car where like, I feel like if a bear is touching your car, it's probably in a way that's going to make it difficult for I you. I bet to... I could outdrive a bear. <laughs> <laughs> I got two directions. Forward and back. Oh, no, there's a second bear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm out of options. Uh, respect bear management closures. So yes. oftentimes parks will close down areas. To manage their bears. Can't go here. This is a bear zone. The bears are on a business outing. <laughs> They're on a work <laughs> retreat. <laughs> They're having a leadership seminar. Uh, be alert. Hiking groups of three or more people. Don't hike at dawn, dusk, or night. Make noise. 
Oh, yeah, bear bells. You can yeah. get bear bells. I don't know how well those work, but... There's that, or people will bring like a Bluetooth speaker or something mm-hmm. to play music. I know, I know the the playing speakers mm-hmm. on a trail is polarizing. Like some That's people true. are like, no, don't ever do that. But I mean, there's value in not not sneaking up on a bear. Another thing that's all pretty common is every once in a while just yelling, "Hey, bear!" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so that you're doing that yell to mm-hmm. a, like nearby bears aware of your presence, but also if there are other people and they hear you say that, they understand why you're yelling. If I was walking down a trail in a mm-hmm. park and I heard someone yell, hey, bear, <laughs> I would assume that that's because they made visual contact with a why bear. Would, why would they be trying to talk to the bear, though? I don't. That's what people do. You know, like you see a bear, you say you see something, you say out. It's like when you're driving, you see cows, you go, ah, cows. Like, But it's I don't the same say, thing. oh, hello, cows. How are you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Um, so yeah, making noise is important because you don't want to surprise a bear. Right. And just because it's a baby bear doesn't mean you can approach it because mommy bear is not far. Yes. And one of the last places you want to be on this planet is between a baby bear and its mother bear. No, absolutely not. (laughs) That is, that is the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Carry bear spray and know how to use it. Often in lots of places, you can actually rent bear spray for like a day. Um, that way you don't have to buy bear spray and then it goes bad sitting in a closet or something. I wouldn't have thought bear spray could go bad. It can. Yeah, oh. it has a shelf life. Oh, interesting. So unless you're spending a ton of time in bear country, it's probably mm. more economic to just rent it while you're there. I suppose so, yeah. Mm. And that's also a kind of thing where it has to be like on hand ready to go, not yeah. in the bottom of a backpack. It has to be like on a holster on your hip. Yeah, you got to have it ready. <laughs> you're not going to have time to be fumbling around digging yeah. through your bag. Yeah. You'll hear accounts of people that have had to use it to, you know, dissuade a charging bear. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them will say if it wasn't already in their hand or at their hip, there was no way they would have had enough time to use it. And sometimes people panic, you know, Uh like if you're panicking, you might not, you know, know what to do. And you you want as few steps as possible. Yeah. And they make even bear spray that has inert gas inside it such that you can practice using it to understand how it works, especially with differing wind angles Mm -hmm. to just know like if you spray it here where is it actually going to go Mm. did they say anything about whether or not to run from a bear Uh, i've heard never to run from a bear i didn't note it but i'm pretty sure i did come across that this says don't run yeah don't run from a bear i think because that like activates the like prey drive Mm -hmm. right don't run slowly go the way you came Mm. like like backup yeah without like turning away from the because you don't want your back to it um don't expect bears to see you first this goes in hand in hand with make noise don't surprise them Mm. Um, because it is very possible you'll sneak up on them and then they'll they won't like panic they will not like that (laughs) yeah they're scared too yeah stay on maintained trails avoid carcasses of other animals because often you know if there's a dead elk or something it's pretty likely there's a couple bears nearby. <laughs> yeah, they can smell that. Yeah. They're probably coming. Yeah, or, you know, they're very territorial of those carcasses, too. Mm-hmm. The stay on the trails is a big one. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I've heard a horror story about, like, something terrible happening to someone in a national park, it's because they went off trail. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest preventative tasks are usually stay on the trails, do it during daylight hours, and do it with a group of people. Bear safety. Yeah. Don't get ate yeah. by bears. And then when you're talking about camping, don't leave food unattended. While you're camping, have it at least 10 feet off the ground and four feet away from tree trunks. So, I've seen people like tie things to tree branches. Yes. Uh, some camping sites will even have poles for this specific purpose. Oh. Just to like have all your food in one container or a bag and then mm-hmm. 
jo- hoist up that container on a rope. So mm-hmm. There's more specific details there on camping about uh, you know what to do with food scraps, making sure you're not leaving any kind of strong food odor- odors on things, especially like if you're cooking over a campfire, don't wear the clothes you were wearing while cooking into your tent. Oh. Because then the, your clothes have a strong food odor. Oh, and that's going to lure the bear into your tent. Yes. I see, I see. <laughs> And most tents aren't exactly like... A little more than a curtain to the not, bear. <laughs> not exactly bear-proof, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. You cannot fight a bear. Whoever listening, a lot of times people like, I could fight a bear. No, you can't. This is one of the few times I would say is probably an appropriate place and time to open carry a firearm. Even just the noise, right, would probably scare off a bear. Yeah. But you cannot fight that bear. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 a lot of people think they can fight mm-hmm. animals a lot bigger than they really can. Right. So, of course, you know, people do get injured and killed by bears, but it is on a magnitude of, like, not something you need to overly fear, especially not, like, advocate for complete removal of bears no, or that kind of like, thing. No, like, this is... <laughs> it belo- like, you're trying to go to their home, right? right? Like, you're a guest in their house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's on you to be, you know, respectful of them and keep yourself safe in their habitat. Right. So, you know, bear safety is, of course, about the person's safety, but it also helps the bear's safety. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, if a bear is found to be overly aggressive, they will put that bear down. Yeah. If they can find it, because they don't always do. Yeah, or know which bear it was, yeah. right? So... They use DNA testing for that, actually. Oh, what? Yes. Are you kidding? No. That's wild. <laughs> really, like, test the injury for the bear's DNA or mm-hmm. something? <gasps> well, uh, also, other times it's pretty obvious, especially when it involves human remains. Because, oh. like I mentioned, bears will uh, stash away remains. Okay. Oh, and that makes sense. will stay nearby it. Oh, man. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't be a story. Steer clear of the bears. Respect the bears. <laughs> now, if I were perhaps an adult male Western silverback gorilla. This again. And if you were perhaps an adult male grizzly bear. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and we were in some type of arena setting with no items, final destination. <laughs> then do you think? Um, I'm still going bear. Oh, my God. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, the claws, the teeth. Who needs claws when you've got guns? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I still think the bear has it. Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. Sure. (laughs) Do we have to? Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you least expect it. This was probably the time I most expected it. (laughs) But... uh... Just you wait until my segment on silverback gorillas, where I will have an entire segment dedicated. Mm-hmm. Didn't we already do gorillas? No. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay. Because I would have brought this up then. <laughs> I am 100% confident. <laughs> All right. So that's the grizzly bear. Awesome. Thank you so much. What a delightful creature. Mm-hmm. When I speak of them tinged with fear, it is out of respect and admiration. Yeah. It is of the sense that I would not approach them or come near them, but I do love them very much. I love them from a distance. Mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. them from a considerable distance. Yes, yes. It is advisable. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's been so good to podcast with you again. It's been a long time since we've recorded. Yeah. And it's it's very refreshing and nice. I it enjoy is. our conversations. I like talking to you when we're not podcasting. <laughs> yeah, we just don't talk at all outside the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we spent the last month just uh, <laughs> completely ignoring each other. Taking podcast notes. Well, because I don't want to get all my good like material out when mm-hmm. we're not recording, right? I got to save it for right. the show. I can't right. say something funny and witty <laughs> off mic because then that's a waste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You said that so incredulously, like, yeah, okay, like you say funny, witty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, thank you for, for podcasting with me. Thank you. Thank you, dear listener, for spending this time with us today. If you liked what you heard, you can leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. I really do love it when people do that. Thank you. I read them all, um, and they make us very happy. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network with their other amazing shows. If you want to learn more about the network um, or how you can be a part of supporting our show and making us happen every week, especially important now that I have left my job, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can head over to MaximumFun.org and learn more about the network. And we would also like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music, which is amazing and a real summer bop. It is. And that's all for this week. We'll see you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.